Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I want to thank first Ken Quiethawk for my amazing intro. Uh, you can find him on the Internet. Just Google Ken Quiethawk, our Native Storytellers, and learn a lot about his, his uh, methods of preserving history, his storytelling, and the magic that, that is held within all of the uh, discs and, and videos that he has there. Tonight I have a special person on with me. I have Normandy Ellis with me. She's a priestess of Isis, and um, um, among other things, she's written over 14 books. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Dreams of Isis, and it, it's an amazing book. And drawing on her travels in modern-day Egypt and her lifelong study of Egyptian mythology and art, she takes us on a moving autobiographical journey through the sacred sites and rituals of Egypt's past, revealing their restorative and transformative power for contemporary woman, women like herself. Her spellbinding prose weaves a tapestry of the personal past and the spiritual eternal in this exploration of the secret wisdom of ancient Egypt. And of course, one of the goddesses that we've heard about so very much and think we know more more about, but but it's it's going to be amazing for you to learn just what Isis does represent. So I'm going to bring her on. Welcome, Normandy. I'm so delighted to have you here with me tonight. Did I lose you? Huh? It's funny. She Can was you hear here me just now? A minute ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> here. <laughs> I'm here. Yes, it's great to be here. Uh, pardon the Mercury retrograde, but we'll get through it somehow. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Is it retrograding again? Does it? You know, it, it, you'd think it would get it right and just go positive for a while. That's right. Well, three times a year, so yep. It seems like it's every damn day. To be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, something it's been breaks quite a, a whirlwind. It has been, and and it seems that every time Mercury goes retrograde, everything 
crashes to the floor just about. But <laughs> you know, I I almost. I almost these days when something goes wrong, I just say it must be Mercury retrograde and just get on with life. Um, but I'm right. but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad your microphone now works. Um, and we're we're going to talk about your book. But but before we do that, uh, there were there were a couple of things that, that you said in the book that that just blew me out of the water. And at one point. You were some either you were in school or I forget exactly what the situation was, but you had to learn a second language and you chose hieroglyphics. I did, um, yeah, and it was <laughs> it was one of those things where you know the um, the universe gives us an opportunity and we don't really know why. I had run into a friend. Um, Years be- a couple of years before I went to graduate school in my hometown, I ran into him, and he started talking to me about, oh, the Rosicrucian teachings, and we were both very fascinated with, with talking about metaphysical topics, and he said to me, you know, you should really look at this Egyptian Book of the Dead. I bet you'd think it was interesting. He walked me across the street and pointed to the book on the bookstore shelf and said, buy that. <laughs> So I did, you know, <laughs> and then um, he left and left a, a lot of his texts with me to read because he was moving uh, to Tennessee, as a matter of fact. So um, he leaves and I go out west and I find my place where I'm supposed to be studying and getting my graduate degree and I come back and gather all my stuff up and he still hasn't come back for the books that he left for me. So I took them with me. And then a year later, I'm translating uh, in a class from Spanish to English, and the teacher suggests that we use a second language. And I thought, oh, I don't have a second language. Um, But there's these hieroglyphs that look pretty interesting, you know. And Robert (laughs) thought I should read them. So I picked up the book and started working with them. Well, what, what was so amazing is that Robert didn't come back for those hieroglyphs <laughs> because he died. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, he died. Uh, and that book, those hieroglyphs, he became kind of like an Osirian consciousness in my mind. And everything that I was writing, I felt like it was directed. He had directed me to that text and told me to work with it. And it was it was a synchronicity that was really a karmic pointing to this is what you're going to do and at that point my whole life shifted you know once I started translating those and really letting spirit talk to me you know it was it was amazing Robert showed up in the back seat of my car about eight years later when I was going to throw the manuscript away after an argument with my husband who said it was obsessing me and I was going to throw it away I was driving up to the dumpster to toss it all in the trash and his spirit appeared in the back seat of my car, tapped me on the shoulder and made me stop the car so that I did not throw the manuscript away and then <laughs> it became my first book. So wow. yeah. Pat yeah. does have a have a habit like that of, of getting back at you, doesn't it? It does. It does, you know. Really wow. gets your attention. <laughs> I would say, I would say, um, it it just, it's such a unique second language to pick. And yet, 
I have to say that that hieroglyphs are are fascinating, especially since they aren't really representative so much as wor- of words as they are of concepts. So the right. So, right. so they're, if, they're if, really they're really I, symbols I was, I was, because symbols teach us things that they're signs for what we don't yet know. You know, uh-huh. that's why the symbol is so exciting to me because it grows and grows and develops. It's not just this equals that, you know, X equals three, but it's like uh-huh. a whole constellation of energy. So actually then, would it be appropriate to say that an interpretation of hieroglyphs depends on the level of consciousness of the person working on them? I would say yes. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, And the level of consciousness that's working on the person. You know, not just that they have it, but that a consciousness is working with them. You know, it's a two-way street. It is. I've often thought that there, there was so much ancient wisdom still locked inside of a lot of the Egyptian mythology and and the hieroglyphs and that quite often the hieroglyphs are only what an archaeologist says they are as opposed to a spiritual person trying to decipher what what the meaning was behind them so many thousands of years ago yes it, to me it's more like uh looking at dream language because there's much more to a dream than one interpretation. Uh-huh. So, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a magical experience that you've had. There is absolutely no, no doubt about it. And, and it's, you know, the, the subtitle to your book is A Woman's Spiritual Sojourn. And it definitely has been. And, and it's, it's such a gift that you share your, this period of time it's over many years, but it, it's it's amazing. It's amazingly beautiful that you share this period of time with us, and that the changes that happened to you through you, and relating them all to ISIS, which I think is is amazing. And I think what you brought out in the book, which was something that you know I I knew the basic story of you know mm-hmm. got married, you know. Somebody killed her husband, cut him up in pieces, you know, all of that. But um, you want to explain to me, to, to the listeners, you know, give, give, give kind of an, I, it's a long story, but give an encapsulated form of ISIS's journey, and, and then we'll relate it to women as a whole. Okay. Okay. Um, there are many parts to her story, um, and uh-huh. one of the things that I have to say is that very little of her story is actually written down in one complete narrative. It appears in little pieces and bits here and there from different texts. It's a story that spans about 3,000 years from the old kingdom, you know, of Egypt all the way up to the Ptolemaic and Greco-Roman era. Uh And her story was constantly expanding. And of course we, they didn't write it down in um, a linear form so much because they believed that it was something everybody knew. And so parts of it were alluded to. And so we have had to 
first of all, I'm telling you this because we've had to piece it all together to try to get the whole story. Um, Margaret Murray probably had the best conglomeration of all of the pieces of it, uh, you know, back in the uh, early 20th century. So the story, um, the story is that um, there are five children who exist as seed thoughts and darlings in their mother's womb, the sky mother. Um, and they exist there for thousands of years. They know each other well. The husband and wife, Isis and Osiris, knew each other in the womb. So they were definitely twin souls, as were Set and Nephthys, who were also became partnered. And so when these children are born, um, Osiris and Isis take that part of Egypt that is uh, the agricultural land, the rich, fertile black soil. And uh, Set and his wife, Nephthys, take the red land, which is the desert. And so it's, it's kind of a story between uh, agriculturalists and hunters and gatherers. Well, we know that the, um, <clears throat> the desert people have a much harder time uh, making a living out there uh, in the middle of the sands and the winds and the heat. Uh, and they have to do a lot of following game and hunting. Uh, whereas it seems like things are kind of, you know, nice and gentle for Isis and Osiris. And they live in this beautiful garden. It's a garden of Eden. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of jealousy between the brothers. Um, now, the story about Isis and Osiris is that she... Um, he was very in love with his wife, but she, for some reason, could not have a child at that time. Uh, however, she spent a lot of her energy going out into the community and working with other women in the community and, and helping them, you know, uh, give birth to their children and teaching them, how, you know, the fine arts of, of community building. And um, Osiris was working in his vineyard and making wine and and growing food and uh Nephthys, the sister of Isis was simply at home because Set was around hunting all of these wild animals all the time he was always gone he was an on the road kind of guy so uh-huh. one night she thinks that she would like to have the life and the love that her sister has and so she's just kind of feeling a little uh bereft she goes to her sister's house to sit in the garden in the moonlight um and before she goes she dresses up in some clothes that look like her sister she wears her hair like her sister she puts on her sister's perfume and as she sits in the garden um and the moonlight's falling across her she's very beautiful and of course osiris sees her it's isis's twin sister and Mm -hmm. he says oh isn't she the most gorgeous creature you've ever seen, thinking it's his wife? Well, the next thing that happens is that Nephthys, who says nothing while this whole uh, encounter is happening, becomes pregnant. And um, she can't let her husband know because he's been away. So she gives birth to a child in the desert. Um, And so this child is abandoned in the desert, and yet the child is found by the handmaiden of Isis and brought to her. And so Isis 
raises her sister's child, and that's the firstborn son of Osiris. Now, there's a story where Set and uh, becomes very jealous of Osiris, perhaps finds out about Nephthys. Um Again, Isis is, is busy working in the community, and she is gone for the evening, and Osiris throws a big party, and there's lots of dancing and a lot of wine and, and a lot of song, and it's quite a lovely uh, harvest festival. And Set comes with his buddies, and he carries in this um, box, a jeweled box. And he, it's all encrusted with gold and carnelian and lapis lazuli and, and gold. I mean, it's just beautiful. And so he says, I will give this box to whomever will lie down in it, and it will fit. And so all the people are excited. Ooh, they want this very beautiful box. But, you know, they lie down, and it doesn't fit them, anyone except Osiris. And the minute Osiris lies in it, he is trapped inside it, set, uh, slams the lid on it, seals it up with lead, and throws it in the river. And it floats out of Egypt and lands in Byblos. And the minute it touches uh, the soil of, of Byblos, uh, a cedar tree grows up all around it. So Isis uh, goes home and finds that her husband is gone. And they said, oh, lady, you know, I think he's dead. (laughs) That came and, you know, cut him up into pieces. And so Isis weeps and mourns and wails. And she cuts off her hair and she goes following the coffin all the way out of Egypt. She goes listening to the children saying, oh, we thought we saw a man in a box, but we're not sure. And so she just keeps following it until she gets to Biblos. And then she's been crying so much that her voice is hoarse and she can't tell anyone who she is or what she wants. Beautiful tree, which has grown up around Osiris's body, is the most strong, gorgeous tree. It was cut down and taken to the king's palace to become the central pillar of his new uh, cathedral, his new castle. And so Isis goes there, and um, the queen mother sees her and recognizes that she's this like beautiful woman. She'd make a great nursemaid. She has a way with all of the other women and the children, and so she's taken to care of the queen's baby. And um, so, and and while she's taking care of the queen's baby, she is turning herself into a kite and flying around the. Uh, pillar, the column in which Osiris is ensnared, and she's flying like as if she were a kite, and she's got the baby, and she places the baby in the fire, and she's working some magic on it and burning off its mortal shell so that it can be immortal, because she doesn't want anything to die the way Osiris has. Well, Mm -hmm. the queen finds her with the baby in the flames, freaks out, um, and sees this hawk flying around and Isis comes down and says stop and the queen goes what are you doing they reveal themselves to each other and finally she learns that uh, her husband Isis's husband is inside that pillar she says okay I'll give you the pillar and you can take him home just leave my baby alone 
So she mm-hmm. says, okay. So she goes. And she takes the coffin back to Egypt. And she takes Osiris in it. And she hides him inside a cave and is trying to work magic spells to make him come alive, you know. And um, the story is that she um, reinvigorates most of him, um, well, one important part, and so she becomes pregnant. And, uh, oh, now she's really excited. He's not fully back yet, but she's excited. Uh She's never been pregnant before, so she runs out to tell Nephthys. And she covers up, you know, the entrance to the cave as as well as she could, uh, but Set is out hunting for boar that night, and he comes across the rocks and the, and the crannies, and he opens the cave, and he finds Osiris half alive lying there uh, inside the cave. And he said, oh, I thought I killed you. So <laughs> I'll get you this time. So he takes out his axe and he cuts him up into 14 pieces and he carries the 14 pieces down to the river and he tosses them in, you know, and a head goes here and a foot goes there, a leg goes over there. And um, finally, you know, um, Isis comes back and says, oh, my gosh, what has happened, you know? So she and her sister have to find all of the pieces of Osiris and try to put him back together. And I always tell people when they hear this story, it's like how many wives follow after their husbands and go, pull yourself together, honey. So Uh (laughs) that's what she's doing. She's trying to pull him together while she finds every piece except one. So, and that's a piece that the fish ate. Um, And that is the golden phallus. And so he cannot Mm -hmm. recreate in this life. He can only recreate in the next life. So she, the pregnant woman, becomes ever more pregnant and now sets after her and after the baby. And she is trying to get away from him, but he finds her and he traps her and puts her in uh, basically a prison cell. Uh, with straw and that she sits there and she cries and weeps and sings songs and weaves the straw into gold. And um, this is a familiar part of the story. Um, And so Thoth, the god, sees her and says, oh, this will never do. If she gives birth inside that cell, you know, Set will kill the baby. So he sends the scorpion goddess to crawl under the door and tell her, I said, she's got to get out of here. And she said, no, I'm just resigned. It's okay. My life is over. It doesn't matter. And he said, well, the story's not over, so you have to to get out of here. She turns herself into a scorpion and scuttles under the door, and then she just hauls uh, herself down from southern Egypt to northern Egypt. And as she passes, she just, you know, she's become this kind of wild, crazy woman, you know. She's been living inside a cell. She hasn't had a bath. Her hair's all matted with straw. She's all dirty, and people see her coming, and they think that she's a witch, and they slam the door on her. Um, And she's just wild in her grief um, and also wild in her incredible wisdom. And so she passes this one woman's house who slams the door on her, and she's got these seven scorpions that are following her, protecting her, her seven scorpions. 
And um, so when the city woman slams the door on Isis because she looks like a hag, one of the scorpions gets really upset. And he says, I tell you what, guys, everybody put your poison in my stinger and I'm going to go teach that woman a lesson. So they do. And he crawls under her door and stings her baby to death and burns her house down. You know, well, this is not anything Isis has anything to do with. This was just her scorpion, right? So she's walking mm-hmm. on down the road, and she hears the screaming, and she sees the woman, you know, hollering, my baby's dead and my house is burning. And uh, in the meantime, an, a nice woman has given Isis a drink of water, and she's resting. And Isis says to uh, the woman, they actually, she actually has a name. It's Gloria. So she says to Gloria, um, Bring the baby here and I'll revive him, which she does. And so Gloria looks at her and says, well, now that's great. What are you going to do about my house? <laughs> and I just says, well, that's your problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's on you, lady. So anyway, she keeps going. She goes all the way down to the edge of uh, Egypt into the bulrushes and hides her baby inside the bulrushes. And then she has to she gives birth to him there and keeps him in charge of the serpent goddesses who nurture him while she goes out and has to bring back the bacon, basically. Um, gosh, how far do we want to go with this story? Because there's so much more. But I, I know, but I, I think what I wanted <laughs> I wanted I wanted people to 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 understand that that. When we're when we're taught in school about the the Greek, the Roman, the Egyptian gods, we're not taught we're not taught about their stories. We're just no. they were gods, and and you know she was the goddess of this, and she he was the god of that, and and that's it. And and all of these um, gods and goddesses had had complicated lives, and oh, yeah. I, I think that. That you know you're relating to ISIS um, is so appropriate for the times because women are 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 at a point in time in evolution here where 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 yes they are fulfilling women's roles but they also are are discovering that that they have dreams and aspirations above and beyond what, what normally, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, a woman's, you know, the, the attitude towards women's where, you know, you get married, you keep house, you have children, and, you know, you take care of your husband. Well, not anymore. And, right. and so, so it, it, it's, it's, you're bringing out the fact that, you know, she, she brought home the bacon and she resurrected her husband twice. And um, twice, so, so that there's <laughs> twice, you know, so that there's this essence here of of almost a balance of of masculine, feminine energy in both people. That the story is is basically saying that there has to be a balance of both within each, and you know, you're 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 absolutely illustrating it beautifully. And in your book, of course, you relate it to your own life, and it's it's amazing because there there is such a close correlation between between what what most women experience as far as 
trying to keep with with ever whatever the tradition is supposed to be and still have a life of their own and dreams of their own and and women are far more powerful than they actually acknowledge and but men also have a feminine side that they have trouble acknowledging so the whole human race is screwed up well so, i think that's the the wonderful thing about thinking of Isis and Osiris is that Osiris is a very um, he's a very nurturing and fructifying god. He's not yeah. the god of of judgment. I mean, he's he's out there growing things. He's putting seeds in the ground. You know, he's watering the earth. He's he's taking care of it. And once he's died, there's another part of the story where after his son is growing up, he teaches his son how to be a warrior. But because he is no longer living, he comes to him in the dream time. And so there's a very strong psychic power that Osiris has as as the teacher of wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. and his ability to see in the dark. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's a, another wonderful part of the story as well. So, yeah, Isis is, is a, a strong woman and a powerful woman, and she has to use her wits to navigate through the world. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And so, so you've gone on many... I'll call them pilgrimages to go to Egypt. So you had to have had past lives there because you were so drawn to it. Um, and and I'm, I'm envious that you got to go into the Great Pyramid. And um, oh. his, his story of going in there was, was beyond belief. I got claustrophobic listening to it. So, you know, I am claustrophobic. <laughs> and, and when you got down to crawling on your hands and knees, I was out of there. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was um, it was quite amazing to be inside there. Um, you have to you have to remember that uh, there's a part of us inside this body that is our soul and our spirit, and it is claustrophobic. It's not just our bodies that get claustrophobic inside some narrow space, but our soul is claustrophobic inside our bodies, you know. (laughs) And so if I can think, well, you know, I can handle that. I've been in this form for, what, 67 years now. You know, I can lie down in a stone coffin inside the heart of a a stone pyramid and, and not be afraid because, you know, if something should happen to me, it would just be as if I had broken the shell, you know, and flown out. So I don't get claustrophobic anymore. I used to be very claustrophobic, but not so much now. Well, it must have been, I can't, well, I I can feel what you felt, but, but um, to be in the king's chamber, to get into that coffin, and happily, there was no lid. But in, in a, in, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, that would have just you know I would have been gone. Um, but in a way, th- that period of time was a rebirthing time for you, a renewal time. It really was. And, it really was. I mean, I, among other things, you took off a wedding band and put on a different ring, and and you were married to a different tradition and a different part of yourself when you came out of there. Which, right. which I thought was phenomenal. I, right. you, go th- you know, you, you went through so many different 
parts of your life that almost every woman can relate to. A time when you were trying to be a wife and a mother, and yet you had things that you had to do to to nurture your soul. And you know, most most women have get to that point in time where it's it's not selfish to say, "What about me? You know, what are my dreams? What are the things that I promised myself I would do someday?" And and someday has come and gone, and I still haven't addressed these issues. Um, I've been really lucky. I've been able to have someday a lot earlier than most. But but most people that I talk to, most women, it's like, well, I always wanted to do this, and I just was never able to. And it's like, do it now. Right. And, and then, you know, <laughs> you're not dead. Do it now. Um, and and you know, you 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 bring that up that that. There is a power within everyone, and and to 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 make yourself whole, to make yourself complete, you need to address those issues as well. And you know, so many times you tried to put aside everything that you wanted to do to become what other people expected you to be, and you just couldn't do yes. it. Right. Yeah. It it felt to me as if spirit kept jerking me back and saying, no, that's not what I've asked you to do, you know. And so uh-huh. when I followed, I finally, I finally, you know, finally, after the book was already published, I had written Awakening Osiris, the book was already published, I met Jean Houston, and it was as if Jean Houston had lifted up a rock and said, oh, lady, so this is who you are. And I looked uh-huh. in her eyes, and I saw myself, and I thought, really, that's who I am. You know, and um, she, you know, she gave me, I really have to say, Jean gave me permission to follow this thread of the story of Isis and continue to weave it, not just one book, but an entire lifetime. You know, she really gave me that. And um, I, I feel that when i when i left my husband he looked at me and he said i haven't changed you have and i said i know honey that's the problem i've changed and you haven't yeah. you know? <laughs> and um I, in a way it's like that it's nobody's fault but we have to change or our souls will simply not grow you know so oh, our lives will not grow yeah and, you know, it's it's sort of like it doesn't mean that you can't be married or you can't have a partner because you certainly can. But in respecting someone else's growth, it usually generates growth within you so that, right. you know, unless, unless you're in two completely different directions, it should be very syncopatic, you know. Um, right. I, it, it's, it's, you know, uh, the older you get, the wiser you get as far as relationship goes. And then when you get really old, then you really know all about it and you don't really want it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. I'm sure you, I, I'm, I, no, that's not true. You do continue to want it's it. but not there's entirely not the, true. <laughs> no, no, it, it, you, you want it, but you want it in, 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 in connection with everything else, you want it to be in balance now instead of an overwhelming part of your life that you do in, you know, um, without being a part of other things. So 
Right. No, it's it, right. you do get you you get very wise though when you get older. It's really a cool thing. I can't it wait is. till I'm it eighty is. and ninety because it, you know if if I'll know if I'll know more in eighty at eighty and ninety than I know now, I'm going to be hot stuff. Um, I may not be able to walk. <laughs> well, you already but are, stuff. Barbara. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to just say, you know, you know, this has been a great decade. I'm not through it yet, but the next de- decade is going to be even more spectacular, I'm pretty sure. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, it can take yeah. its time getting here, I might add, but, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think one of the other things that, that came up here, um, lately I've been doing um, work with the Emerald Tablets with Solaris Blue Raven. Oh, yes. And your As Above, So Below has come up here quite often in your book. And uh, it, 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 of course, comes comes up in the Emerald Tablets, too. And Tofa, Toth is, you know, one of my favorite, favorite characters of the past. And um, it's it's amazing how the antiquity of Egypt, you know, if you look at it the correct way, so so easily applies to this lifetime. You know, yes. It's it, yes. it's not dusty ancient history. It's modern philosophy if you take the time to find it. I think so. And I think that all of the things that we learn in in terms of uh the the natural laws of hermeticism are all inherent mm-hmm. when we look inside the texts of Egypt, the as above so below, the goddess who is the sky mother and that beautiful Milky Way, you know, that runs all the length of the Nile. You know, it's like a mirror of her body in that stream of the Milky Way. And then when you look inside the the coffins, uh, the lids of the coffins have that star body of the goddess. So the recognition that, you know, we're sailing home in a boat, uh, you know, I, I think of it like the, uh, wink and blink and a nod story, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, sailing <laughs> off in a wooden shoe. It's like that's what those coffins represent to me sometimes. Um, it's quite interesting. Quite interesting. Well, and a lot of their their um, mythology deals with light and becoming the light, and that, of course, is something that is carried through till today. People are constantly looking for the light, the light body, the light energy. And I, I think that it, it's time that people started to teach ancient Egypt in a little different way in the schools, although I don't know what they're teaching in the schools anyhow now. But it feels to me as though understanding, you know, the different the different bodies that we in, inhabit, the different levels of our bodies. Um, at some point you got into the different... Um, the different yes. energetic bodies and and um, and how they can be activated and applied and developed. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Because that was fascinating. Well, a little bit, yeah. I think one of the things that's that um, maybe it's not totally apparent in the book, but it's become more apparent to me as I work with those nine spiritual bodies is that every story of our lives is written inside one of those bodies, just as every story of Isis is written inside her spiritual body, you know. 
And mm-hmm. so the uh, the power of um, we'll call the spiritual body the phoenix, you know, the one that jettisons itself and leaves behind the mortal coil, you know, that part of us that um, goes to sleep at night and leaves the body lying on the bed and, you know, never really expects to wake up. It just goes because that's what it knows mm-hmm. to do. You know, that's its intelligence. Um, and that's a very deep story about transformation that we do every single night. Now, the goddess Sekhmet is a very strong, uh, fiery goddess, very willful. She she would be similar to that, that scorpion energy of Isis, you know. Um, and it and her energy, her will, can be used for good or ill, and that's part of our bodies, our spiritual bodies, and that was part of Isis's body. She could, you know, um, the story about Isis where she uh, she makes a, a scorpion out of the spittle of Ra and sets it in the garden so that it will sting him, and she can learn his secret name. Now that seems uh-huh. like a, kind of a, a scary little story, like, ooh, that's a witchy kind of story. <laughs> but um, It's a good it story, actually. With, it's a great story because he it's the whole thing of the masculine had all the power of naming and creating, and she needed it for herself. She needed to have a certain amount of what we'll call chutzpah to stand up and you know, be herself and say what she needed to say and do what she needed to do in order to make her reality. And that's one of those stories. And that's inherent in her Sekhem body, which is her body of the will. Um, Uh And so there are these nine layers of bodies that are like the nine coffins that are inside um, the, they're like nesting dolls inside the sarcophagus. Um, yeah. And we we ourselves have these nine bodies, spiritual bodies. You know, we look at them as our auras uh, of the different levels and so on. Uh-huh. Well, I, I love, I loved, you, you got to finish the story. I mean, <laughs> she, she, come on, she created a scorpion. She had him go uh, and uh, bite, who was it, Ra? That, that he, Ra, it bites Ra, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so he, all right. Yeah, finish the story. Oh, That's and, and he's—oh, he's—he um, well—he's—he's—he's he's, you know gotten full of himself. He's—he's he's an old god at this point, and he's gotten full uh-huh. of himself, and um, he's not letting anyone else uh, play in the garden or or have their day in the garden, you know. And he only walks around with his his uh, tribe who say, "Oh, you're the greatest, raw. You're wonderful. Yes, everybody loves you." And so, you know, I says, well, you know, I need, I need something here. So she makes this little scorpion to bite him. And when it bites him, he falls down and he starts drooling and his bones get brittle and he's crying and he's like, oh, I'm in so much pain. Help me, help me. And all of the uh, attendants go, well, we can't save you because you're raw. You know, you, if you can't save yourself, then boy, we're all in trouble, you know, which is which is basically what happens when somebody thinks they know everything and uh-huh. then they get in trouble, right? Um, so 
they said, well, there's maybe one person we know who can help you, and it might be ISIS. And he says, okay, go and get her. So they bring ISIS to him. And um, he says, can you, can you take care of me because I'm dying here? And she says, yes, I can heal you, uh, <laughs> but you have to tell me your secret name. And he says, oh, I can't tell you my secret name. You would have the same power that I would have. And she said, well, that's okay if you want to die. I mean, that's all right with me, but I can't heal you unless you tell me your secret name. And um, so he says, oh, well, you know, I'm, um, I'm Kephara, the dung beetle in the morning, and I'm Ra at midday, and I'm a tomb at the eventide. And Isis looks at it and goes, everybody knows that. That's not your secret name. <laughs> so she starts to walk away. And he goes, no, wait, no, wait, I'll tell you my secret name. Uh, but you can't tell anyone. So he and Isis uh, retire behind the clouds. And he uh, opens himself up and she penetrates the heart of the God and learns his secret name. And then she heals him. Um, and now she knows the name of all the great holy word, the power of creation, of all creation. She can become the greatest healer. And Ross says, okay, I'll go and stay further back in the sky. And that's when she claims her, her throne as the great goddess. Wow. So. Such a good story. And it's, well, it's, a story that isn't told in the history books for sure, because I read them all. Right. And and um, had at a time of fascination with the Egyptian, the Greek, and the Roman, and the Norse gods, and saw the similarities between them, saw how they they could all have been the same person, just in a different culture. And But the Isis story always fascinated me. It was like, yes. you know, it's it's, it's got more meat on it than a lot of the other stories, and yeah, and and, and I like in a that way, one you, in particular. Oh yeah, no that that with the scorpions I liked a lot. Though I still I still kill spiders, but um, <laughs> <laughs> they freak me out. Um, but but you know I have I found in in reading your book how it it spoke of not only finding your voice but finding your inner power. And and you certainly, you know, went through a, a, a long struggle of, of finding who you were. I, I know that um, finding my voice was something that was, that was difficult for me growing up. I think every woman has, um, yes. not every, most women have issues with finding who they are because they've been defined as something else. And, right, and right. you know, if, if your life gives you the possibilities, you know, if if you've had a blissful life and you've been married to the same person and have four children and two cats and a dog, then God bless you. But right, but mo- most women don't have that kind of blissful existence. Most women. Well, when I when I was growing up um, back in the sixties and seventies. It was not assumed that I would be the child who went to college and got a Uh further degree. You know, my mother said, well, you don't need that. You can just be a secretary. You'll have a happy life, you know, and and inside (laughs) me there was this 
there was this writer dying to get out, you know. Uh, there was a, yeah. an explorer who was longing to, you know, put her feet in the sand and run from one end of Egypt to the other, you know. And I thought, <laughs> I can't live a life like that. Um, uh-huh. And I really had to learn that I did have a right to my own voice. You know, my mother never gave me the money to go to college. I had to put myself through college, you know. Um, my husband at the time, you know, we made the agreement, oh, you get your PhD and then I'll get mine. You support me and I'll support you while you're getting yours and then you'll support me, right, honey? And it took him <laughs> 10 years and he never got it, right? Oh, so <laughs> it took It took me finally getting to the point where I was 66 years old and I said, to hell with this, I'm going back to school. I want that PhD. And so I went and went back to school and I got it, you know, I got it last year. Um, wow. <laughs> a lot of people said, why would you have done that? You know, I, I even had people say, well, what will you do with it? Because you're too old to teach. And it was like, oh, that's not why you get it. You know, you get it yeah. so that you can, A, prove to yourself what you know and learn more. And as a spiritualist, I always say, it's knowledge I take with me to the other side. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, not only yeah. that, but your journey is a teaching lesson. Somebody said to me a long time ago, I, I made some statement about, I, I think he had said I should be teaching, you know, in the spiritual realm. And I said, well, as soon as I get to where I think I'm qualified, um, you know, I have, I, you know, I had two master's degrees in teaching, but spiritual mm-hmm. stuff was different. I said, when I, when I get to where I feel qualified, I'll look around and if there's a group there, I'll, I'll teach. And he jumped right. on me and it was probably, he didn't jump literally on me, but he said, no, no, you don't understand. It's your journey that is the teaching tool. Arriving right. is nothing. And, Arriving and is nothing. I, I, I mean, I never wrote him a thank you note, but um, it, 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 they were great words of wisdom. And, and mm-hmm. if I had a pillar, I'd engrave them on it, you know, just, you know, it's the journey that teaches people. It's the, it's the ins and outs and it's the side trips and it's the times you have dead ends and you have to go back. And, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you arrive, yeah. it's really a very sad thing because that's the start of another journey. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm so close to the goalposts. Guess what? There's another game. You know, it's 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 mm-hmm. kind of like there's always something more that you can study, right. learn, and grow to, That's which right. is the exciting thing about about spirit. Because no matter how much you learn, the less you know. Yes. But it was. It's, um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> No, that's okay. Actually, I'm sitting here. We're talking on the phone, and I'm watching my two cats bop each other on the head to see who gets the water first. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's Isis and Osiris and Set and Nephthys right in front of me. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, one of the big things I hope people take from, from our talking tonight is is the fact that um, – there is. It, it's important to find your voice. It's important to find those things inside of you that that make you feel rich. And and absolutely, absolutely. none of them. 
you know, and it's the creativity that you you utilize in your life. And you know, degrees are wonderful; they're lots of fun, and you have something you can hang on the wall. But the reality is, you know, what do you do with that wisdom once you get it? And you know, you've written books, and you take people to Egypt, and you take them into scary places, and um, it just to me, in in reading your book. I literally could smell some of the places you were in. It was it was really, of course, Egypt is something I've been fascinated with forever, but but it was you you wrote it so beautifully and so graphically that, that oh, thank you. You, you you were there. You could smell it almost. And and you know when you talked about the sand and sitting um, in the sand after you came out of the Great Pyramid. You know, I could feel the sand. It was really, it was beautifully done. And, that you know, was the a message... magical moment. That was a oh, magical yeah. moment. Mm. You know, if if we're lucky, we have one or two of those in our lives that, you know, we know there's magic there. And weren't you, there was something about birds at the top of the pyramid when you were there? Yeah, it was amazing to be able to watch them because I was watching them uh soaring around the the uh, tops of the pyramids uh, as if they could feel the vibrations and the energy. Maybe it was the thermal draft of the sun, you know, as it was hitting the stones and warming them up and coming off and, and that they were just flying around that. But it was it was quite a dizzyingly beautiful. And they would just take off from one peak and go to the next and then keep flying and fly back. And it was just beautiful, you know. If we think the whole world is made of vibration, I was watching those birds enjoy the vibration of morning. You know, it was wonderful. <laughs> you know, it, it, it made me kind of wonder when um, so many people tour the Great Pyramid so many people go through it that are on spiritual journeys or initiation or, or initiation type focused experiences. Could you feel the accumulation of the energy when you were in the King's Chamber? I could definitely feel that and hear in the overtones um, when we were chanting inside there. I could hear voices that were chanting with us that were very ancient voices. And those um, walls, it was those yeah those walls are, are are granite, right? And they've got crystal in them. So crystal has that's memory. That's right. That's right. They have the memory of all that. And it was, you know, those crystalline structures were just vibrating, you know, every cell of my body and I was hearing these beautiful beautiful voices. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was it was quite thrilling, and to feel it running up and down my spine, I put my back to the to the wall, and I could feel it vibrating me. I put my back inside the sarcophagus itself, and it was like a wash of energy, just water flos- sloshing over me. It was really wonderful, wonderful. How cool is that? So. So coming out of an experience like that, how and of course it changes your life. It has to. Did it refocus yes. you? Did it give you a, a greater sense of purpose and direction? What did you take away it, from that experience? 
it did refocus me. You know, I don't know. I can't remember if I told you in the book or not um, that I performed a sort of an initiation before I went into the Great Pyramid that first time. Um, and I had been traveling in Greece. Um, I, I'll have to say I was traveling unhappily in Greece with, with my husband and his mother and uh, my five-year-old daughter, and all they wanted to do was lie on the beach and do nothing else in Greece. Uh-huh. And I was like, but there are all these temples here. There are places to go. There are things to do, you know. And I was going to meet a friend of mine in Egypt. And so I prepared myself and went to, um, I went to uh, Eleusis, and I took a copy, the very first copy of my book, right off the press. It had just been published like a couple of months mm-hmm. before that. I wrapped it up. Um, I wrote a sacred prayer to Isis inside cover of it. And I weighted it down inside um, a bag. I probably shouldn't have done this, but when no one was watching, <laughs> I I made the deepest prayer that I could that I was dedicating my life to this service and that I would follow where she led me. And I took that book and I threw it as far back into the crevasse of that cave as I could get it to go. So that was my, that was uh, three or four days before I landed in Egypt. And when I got there, um, when I got there, I was supposed to meet a friend um, who had fallen in a bus. The bus had driven off the edge of a cliff in Pakistan, and oh, wow. she entered into a coma and was in a coma for the next six months. And I already had my ticket, so I went to Egypt by myself. Um, and it was it was quite an experience. It was quite an initiation. And that was before I ever went into the Great Pyramid, which was a year later. But that whole trip was, um, it was amazing. Um, And it was truly, a uh, you know, I probably cried at every single temple uh, because I knew (laughs) that my life was changing at that point. Uh Well, yeah, but what, what better place to experience um, a loss so that you could gain. That's and, right. And, That's right. Yeah, you know, I, I those those structures fascinate me. Um, Abba Symbol also fascinates me. They there's something very special about Egypt that it and almost it's going to sound silly, but it feels like we really don't have the whole picture yet. That there's oh, no. more to there's yeah you too uh, <laughs> yeah oh yeah I keep I keep clapping every time they dig up something new it's like yes I knew that was there <laughs> <laughs> no and and well when they hit go back Beckley Tepe I was you know all I could oh, think my. of was it's twenty acres of land that they have structures under and they've only dug up five little circles. I would have been there with a shovel in a heartbeat. Um, I know. And what kills me is they haven't dug up the oldest part yet, which is the most important part. Right. 
So, you know. Well, and, and, and so Egypt has taught me that they built temples on top of temples, on top of temples. And whenever the sand covered it over, they just built the next temple on top of it, took a seed stone and put it inside the new temple. And so we know uh-huh. that that's what's down there in all the old ones. Did you get into any of the subterranean? Because I know there's a lot of stuff that's that's um, subterranean there now. Yes. I mean, some. Um, I did get into some. Now, there are some really interesting places inside um, the Temple of Dendera, which is the Temple of Hathor. It uh-huh. is an astrological temple, but it is also a dream temple. And it has crypts that people could go and sleep inside the crypts, they would be given usually some type of potion and they would spend the night underneath the temple. Uh, it's quite interesting there. Now, did, they, did the priests help to interpret the dreams after people had them or were they yes. supposed to be self-explanatory? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, they did. They did. Um, now, it's not like we have, you know... Uh, it's not exactly the same way as, oh, you dream of a goat. Well, it means this, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, not exactly like that, but there were um, interpreters who knew the hieroglyphs, and because they were steeped in symbolism and the understanding of symbols, they could interpret the dreams in certain ways that were symbolic as well. Well, you have Joseph and his interpretation of the oh, um, absolutely, yeah, the king's dream, and, uh-huh. and and then we have Delphi, but of course that's in Greece. So, but but dream, the dream state dreams seem to be very significant to a lot of the ancient uh, cultures, more so than they are today. Yes, and and yes. it's kind of it's kind of too bad that that people I. I strongly suggest to people to keep a dream journal because our dreams are, are the clearest way that that the spirit inside of us can talk to us and you know right. if if you take the if you write it down you'll you'll be able to figure it out eventually but if you just say to yourself well I'll remember this one and as soon as you've gone to the bathroom and brushed your teeth you've forgotten it so um <laughs> So it, it's it's important. I, you know, there's so much that is linked to antiquity that would be of use for people today if they paid attention to study it just a little bit. Yes. But, but you know, I, I think your book is a wonderful journal for women to read because it does um, give so much information as to, as to you know, okay, sometimes... You know, men grew up, grow up and they have, you know, an idea of what they want to do for a living and stuff like that. And they're basically encouraged to do what they want to do to a certain degree. Women, not so much. And um, I know when I was in college, you could be a secretary, a nurse, secretary, a nurse, maybe a teacher. A teacher. Other, mm-hmm. other than right. that, forget it. And, mm-hmm. and nothing else was really open to you. I... I I predate you by about 10 years. So it was sort of like this, this, this is, it sucks. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, would, would I like to go back to school again? Um, I'd like to take what I know now and go back. But, but, you know, there's so many places that, 
that you can apply yourself today that you couldn't so many years ago. And the fact that women have this opportunity seems to be something that a lot of women don't understand. I, I have friends that are housewives, and there's nothing wrong with being a housewife. But I have friends who are unhappy being a housewife because they wanted to do more with their lives and they, they hadn't been able to. And, you know, basically it's, it's never too late. While there's breath in your body, it's never too late to find your voice and your direction. And right. it, 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 it almost feels like sometimes they're just too tired to do it. And I just, it, it's heartbreaking to see people you, you really care for being in that position. Right. And I mean, I think that happens to to men as well, you know, like a man who who believes that this is the life that I'm supposed to have lived. And so I go to school and I study this and I and then they retire and they say, now what? (laughs) Because there was all that opportunity to have done something completely different. And by that, I mean something that they loved. You know, I have been Uh so blessed to be able to do something that I love, that I didn't know I loved it as much. I mean, it was it was almost scary how much I loved this life, you know, because oh, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like, um, it's, a, it's a marriage with spirit is what it is, you know. That's, mm-hmm. that's how deep it feels to me. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel sorry for people who have not experienced that or, have let that pass them by, you know, not everybody gets to do that. And I've been very blessed, I realized. And in part, I've been blessed because I've just been stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I've been blessed in a similar way. I had a car accident and was forced to retire. And had it not been for the the spiritual, so that was in my 40s. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was doing this work then, but on top of the teaching and, with a car accident, you know, aside from the fact that I have vertigo, um, which it can be fun and not, um, it, it, it enabled me to, to do the thing I loved the most, which was, mm-hmm. you know, to research, to write, to, to work with spiritual um, organizations and things like that. So that, right. I mean, so so a car accident that, that totally ripped my career away from me was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Didn't feel it at the time, I might add, but but in retrospect right. it was, you know <laughs> it, it was it was definitely and vertigo is not all that bad. You just stay closer to the ground, that's all. But um <laughs> That's right. I told my mother at one point I was going to contact a drug company and see if I couldn't be a pile inspector because I was so often on the ground. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not it's not that bad these days at all, but it does kick up now and then. I think I think though that that what is important for for women especially and and men to to realize that that a lot of these these stories. Um, are speaking to having a balance of the male and the female within you. That's that, that right. To be totally, to be totally one or the other, um, only makes you half there. And so That's often right. women, you know, women are afraid to assert their masculine side, and men, men are reluctant to let us see their feminine side. And and a lot of these um, 
um, stories from the past are, are it, I find it fascinating that these ancient stories are giving us wisdom that our culture today doesn't have the brains to see. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, a lot of people have asked me, well, you must have had past lives because you seem to know so much about Egypt. And sometimes I I find myself wondering if time is actually all that linear, that maybe I'm working my way toward a good life in ancient Egypt. (laughs) Well, that could be. That could be. I I mean, anything is possible. Um, Right. You know, I I I would I would I I did say I thought you probably had past lives there. I know I've always had a fascination with it. I thought thought that perhaps I I had two at one time, and and I'm still incredibly drawn to it. But um, you know, I don't think I'll ever see it. I'll experience it through other people, but it's not some place I have to visit today or tomorrow. It's it's right. It's a it's a part of my past. I don't know where my future lay, which is really cool. But, uh, but yeah. you know, you kind of you, you kind of wait for the for the pathway to open, and and I think that the spiritual on all levels is something that is so important for people today to be experiencing, to be opening to to, and it doesn't mean that they have to put on a white robe and go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership. It, it means right. to bring the spiritual more into their everyday life so their perception of their reality is different. And so very often, you know, we create our realities by our perception of it. And if, right. if you're looking at and perceiving your life as exciting and 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 full of new discoveries because you're opening yourself up to the possibilities, life is rich and magnificent. And and how do you deal with people that, that just don't have that understanding or that energy to perceive a richer reality? Yeah, it's I, th- I think that not everyone, it's not everyone's task to do that. You know, some people really... Their main task is to learn love and compassion, and they mm-hmm. and the only thing that they operate on is to figure out how relationships work, you know. And that's a noble thing to do, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. so and not everyone's well, you, going going to be on this path. Uh, but no, I certainly welcome people who are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 you make a very good point that each lifetime has a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And and, and the, whatever that purpose is, is the most important thing for that lifetime. And it's not for anybody to judge whether it's, you know, to learn to play the piano or to become a priestess. You know, it's it's that's right. the focus for this lifetime. I think priestess is kind of fun, though. But piano would, I, might not be bad either. Um you did mention something about a piano and piano lessons, didn't you, in your book? Well, I did. Uh huh. I was never very good at it. <laughs> I wasn't either. <laughs> but, no, that was not something that I there's did. There's always that uh-uh. thought, you know. I keep I keep that thought in my head. You know, I may get back to that someday yet, but 
but I think that what is so exciting about everybody, every person is, every woman is an ISIS. And Mm -hmm. there is a special journey that they are on. And sometimes it isn't, sometimes the rituals that, that, priestesses went through in those temples and things like that you know you create your own rituals to enhance your own life whether it's whether it's candles and incense and enchanting or whatever um i think people have to understand you know they'll read your book and they'll say well i can't go to egypt so i can't even you know be a part of that and that's not the case this is the journey that you went on. You you got to travel there to do it, but you don't have to go to Egypt for that experience. If, if your life is about rocking babies, if your life mm-hmm. is about taking care of uh, and adopting children that need a parent, your life is about ISIS just as much as as one who tries to find the words of power from Ra. You know, every every angle that we can think of in our lives is part of her story. And she's with all of us all the time. Well, yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's that's the one thing you said at some place was Isis was a healer, a shaman, a wife, a mother, a sister, a widow, a prisoner, an outcast, a leader, a community builder, a wise woman, and more. She basically held an honor, honored uh, the roles of all women can exhibit in the world today. So whatever your yes. station in life, whoever you are, you are, there's a part of you that can relate right. to the ISIS legend. And knowing That's what right. she did with that, the, the strength and the power that she had to to move forward and and um, and the cunningness she had to get uh, <clears throat> the secret word of God, so to right. speak, um, you know, it, it, it's all a part of... of the power that you have inside of you, so that so that it's, it's exciting. Oh. So I think what I'm seeing is that is that ISIS lives in all of us, basically, and and you know whether whether you're into Egyptian stuff or not, the story um, can be an example for you to you. And and can yes. help you to move, you know, into into greater degrees of yourself and finding uh, the power within yourself. You spoke of of so many different things in the book. It's it's just, I'm amazed you crammed as much stuff into it as you did. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, I can remember the time in my life when I was writing it. I uh, turned my walk-in closet into an office. <laughs> and I had two bookshelves, one on either side, where I didn't even have to get out of my chair. I just would reach from one book to the next. <laughs> it was a crazy that's, time. <laughs> that is, that's cool. Now, yeah, you, talk, you, talk, you talk a bit of, a bit about astral bodies too, and and I think you know most people have heard about them. You want to explain to them your definition of astral bodies? Uh, well, we live on um, we live on four different planes, and each plane 
has three bodies on it, with the exception of the physical plane. The physical plane has this body, which is mostly a container for all the other nine bodies that we have. Mm-hmm. We have emotional bodies, you know, um, and those emotional bodies, we could think of them in the astral world, but we we inhabit emotional bodies when we travel in our sleep at night. Um, people who pass into spirit still inhabit emotional bodies that we see as, you know, spirit forms that maybe come Mm -hmm. and visit us. There are mental bodies that we think of, which are the capacity of the will, the capacity of thought, the capacity of the heart. Um, And then there are spiritual bodies that are, uh, the Egyptians defined them as um, spirit itself, which is the animating principle soul, which is the record of a lifetime, and then the uh, God seed, which is the God spark called the Ark or the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So those are the basic levels that we all are in. And you can think of them as the, you know, if you were Jewish, you would see the tree of life, you know, uh, depicted in that um, form, uh, the ladder of heaven. It's called a Jed pillar, where it's like uh, the rungs of a ladder that Jacob sees, you know, the angels moving up and down the ladder. Those are spirit moving in and out of form. So, yeah. Yeah, and and we all have them. It's, you know, people mm-hmm. don't always utilize them or access them. Or, you know, they, it, it, they're they all there. They're, and, and I think, again, another, we come into this lifetime with tools and, and, and gifts that, uh, are woven right into our DNA, and then it's a matter of are you going to use it or are you going to just let it sit there right. and and, right. and not touch it? And, and lots of people, you know, don't want to get involved with that kind of um, mysticism, I guess is the best word for it. Yeah. But, yeah, the, especially the, the, the dream state is, is a fascinating one, and... Mm-hmm. Um, so many people are vivid dreaming these days. It's really quite amazing. And, and there, it, it feels to me as though there's a lot of remote viewing going on and a lot of out-of-body experiences. I'm, I'm wondering if perhaps the situation in this world is sending people more inside of themselves so that they are reaching out with their energetic as opposed to being able to go out with their physical body. Mm. Well, I think that's true. I, I've been thinking about how it's um, dreaming is just practice for dying. So that's why lucid dreaming is so important because we get used uh-huh. to it. We need to get used to being in and out of the body and how easily we can slip in and out of the body, that it doesn't have to be traumatic, you know, um, and that we can, and just as easily as we slip out, we can slip back in, you know. So, yeah, it is. It is a. It, it is a very. Um, you know, you, you're you're touching on so many different elements of the spiritual journey. Here is is working with light energy a part of all of this. Is this? You know, it 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 appears that it is, and I don't know if I'm reading it correctly. I think I think so too. You know, one of the things that I can say about Egypt when I take people there is that you have to get up very early in order to see Egypt in its true 
uh, beauty and glory because that place was built for the light. Every single temple is built in alignment to particular seasons of the year, to particular stars that are coming, to particular points of energy that are moving, um, you know, I mean, even just watching the way the light comes through the windows at uh, Karnak Temple and hits on one of the pillars, as the light moves down, it's illuminating a different part of the story that relates to the hour of that God story. I mean, the temples are built to be read through the light and the process of the light. It's an amazing thing. So you you mentioned... um Kepri and the art of becoming light. Is that is that mm-hmm. a matter of finding the light within you, or is that a matter of being baptized by light of some sort? Well, I think that that is uh, a, that's a very good question, and I think of Kepri as the ultimate alchemical reality. You know, alchemy uh-huh. as we have come to know it. Uh, the word actually means from the land of Kem, and Kem was the name of Egypt. It's the black land. It's the the black soil of Egypt um, that Osiris grew his beautiful trees in. And alchemy in a psychological sense is taking base matter or the dark matter, the dark part of our lives, and turning it into gold, learning how to, as Isis did, she spun gold out of straw, but this is the dung beetle laying its eggs in in the manure Uh and, um, you know, just processing it, pushing it, processing it until it becomes refined and we move up into an understanding and and the the negative part of of the life story breaks away and, you know, the new winged dung beetles fly out and they're golden. And that's really about turning the negative into a positive. That's the alchemical process of light. And, and you know, it, to me, I love the story of the dung beetle because, of course, you know, it's, it's, it sounds gross, but basically we all come, well, we all come yeah, from, from, you know, um, I, you're, planting your seeds in dung, but dung is very full of nutrients, so therefore it is mm-hmm. great soil. So, you know, pardon the analogy, but if you're going through a whole bunch of crap, it just means that you have great soil to work with to grow a better life. So, That's you right. know, it's, it's exactly. It's, <laughs> but they didn't they use the beetle as a symbol of a lot of things? Wasn't it a, a symbol uh, that, no, wait, it, 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 if it was, if it was, it was meant to be upon the heart. Yeah, it was the yeah. seed of consciousness. And uh, mm-hmm. when you died, the the dung beetle amulet was placed on your heart, and it talked about um, taking the negative of your life and turning it into a positive. And that uh-huh. golden beetle, you know, um, the winged beetle was the whole process or generator of all creation, everything is a process of change and transformation, and that's what the beetle was, change and transformation. And they have that little dung beetle symbol uh, inscribed behind the sacred shrine of every single temple because that's like the generator of the temple. Uh, 
Yeah. That's, yes. That's really. Be- I I loved the way you went temple to temple looking for the heart. Mm-hmm. It was great. And, it was really great. And I would imagine, you know, you talked about putting your back against it, and even after all this time, there was an energetic exchange. Yes. Which which is 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 just amazing. I mean, it it's it's subtle sometimes, but you know, you can when touching um something even like a gravestone. There's an energetic mm-hmm. exchange, and if you if you take the time to be present and to feel the energy, you can you can get such such wonderful I, I don't even know if it's messages as much as it's, it's energy that triggers wisdom within you. But right. um, but the, the the element of of wisdom and light in in all of those those temples. I mean, some of them, like in Karnak, my gosh, those those pillars are are just are they as big as they look? I mean, yeah, they're huge. Yeah, yeah. You, it's like standing there and knowing that that was their idea of what the dawn of creation looked like to see those mm-hmm. huge lotus buds and, and papyrus stalks. It was amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And and really, the Egyptians weren't talking about, quote, unquote, a religion as much as creation. They were talking about creation, which is the natural world, which is what... Mm-hmm the hermetic principles are about. They're about how the natural world operates. Law of vibration, uh, law of the mind, uh, law of opposition. I mean, they're talking about the natural world. So, law of light. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it sad that, 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 you know, so many have lost the connection to the source of creation and gone in a different direction, and, and maybe today people are coming back to that, to stepping, you know, beyond the restraints. And and I'm not and I'm not saying religion is bad. It's a wonderful foundation, and and it gives it gives thousands comfort and solace. But if they went even beyond it and expanded from it, you don't have to negate it. You just expand on it to get into the right element of creation and how we are a part of that creation. I like to think about um, my teacher, Wendell Berry. I was very lucky as a young woman to study with the poet Wendell Berry, who is uh, an agriculturalist and just really one of the most amazing environmentalists. And I can remember an interview he had uh, with Bill Moyers in which he said there's no such thing as um, an unsacred place. Every Uh place is sacred. There is only a sacred place and a desecrated place. You know, and I thought, yeah, that's it. Uh And he, he was talking about, you know, what they've done to the mountains when they strip mine them. They have made them unsacred, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, by desecrating them, but they were originally sacred, and every place is, and they were, and it's all God's field, you know. And I think that's what the Egyptians saw, that it was all God's field, the field of reeds. 
Oh yeah, and you know, you know, it's it's really um, when you when you talk about that, it's 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 sort of like it brings to mind the fact that there is so much going on that that people aren't. I think people are getting lost these days, and and the work you you are doing is just amazing. Now you're giving some classes. Are they being taught? Virtually, or are well, they? Yeah, everything is virtual right now. So, so that's the good news. You can find me anywhere at any time. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, going to be teaching uh, a lot of various classes to field, uh, which is where I run the metaphysical program here, and um, I'm teaching classes in uh, symbol. It's called symbology the language of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also teaching classes coming up in March on um, the Temple of Isis, and we'll be going into more depth with uh, writing practice and how we can take Isis's story and turn it into our story, and that's going to be in March for the Metaphysical Workshop. Um, I am teaching about dream temples, actually this coming weekend, February the 7th, at the uh, Vegas Vortex Mysterium, which is online. Um, and I have a number of classes with uh, the Infinity Foundation on the Spiritual Bodies coming up. Mm-hmm. So I guess the best way to find out when I'm teaching what and where is to go to my website, uh, which is normandyellis.com, and I'll try to keep everybody up to date on what the new classes are. Out of curiosity, what is the symbolism class entailing? What kind of symbols are you going into? Well, we are working with the five major symbols, uh, you know, which are the ground swell of all symbolic thinking, um, circle, okay. triangle, square, etc. you know. Um, and then we find certain patterns and move them through uh, various cultures to see how those particular images resonate with each other. But each pattern, generally of the five main ones, has a particular uh, vibrational pattern or energy that that goes through each culture. So that's uh-huh. what we'll be talking about. Well, I, you know, and then, of course, symbols were very important in Egypt, too. I mean... Yes, um, yes. I, I just... I just was fascinated with interpretations of some of the um, different symbols that uh, the the hieroglyphs portray. Um, not not an expert, and I'm I'm not probably setting myself up to study hieroglyphs, but I find them fascinating. Now I've never really been close enough to be able to touch any, so my curiosity here is: Did they feel? almost like they had been laser carved into the stone or could you feel chisel marks? Well, I tell you, it's, it works both ways. Um, sometimes the hieroglyphs are carved into the stone and usually they're carved into the stone if it's from the New Kingdom, like the images that you see of Ramses. You know, he carved his name very deeply into the 
uh, pillars and columns over top of the names of other people. He was called the Great uh-huh. Chiseler. You know, so it was <laughs> oh definitely <my. laughs> yes, it was definitely his like putting his stamp on something. But in the Old Kingdom, which is the much older part of Egypt, they um, the carvings are bas relief. They are not chiseled into the stone. They are pulled out of the stone almost like you know a sculpture is pulled out of a stone you know and so that has a very different kind of resonance um and i believe that those to to me that particular writing is much more powerful than the incised version because the crystalline structure of the language intruding from the stone rather than being embedded in the stone does it's coming sense? up to meet you. Yeah. It's coming up to meet you. Yeah. And um and the other thing about that is that that makes the um that makes it very difficult that if you touch that sometimes simply the salt in your hand can destroy that hieroglyph. You know, right. and a lot of times people walk into uh, some place and they want to see how beautiful it is and they got a backpack on their back. They lean up against the wall and they start looking around and they're scratching the hieroglyphs off and it's really you know it's hard for me to see because I know what they don't know what they're doing you know and so I have to tell my people make sure your backpack is facing out toward the center of the Uh room not behind you you know because I don't want those zippers running across (laughs) the stones (laughs) Well, it, it's it's a shame that you still, you know, that that for a while you are prevented from taking groups of people, and possibly the the um, monuments are are grateful for the peace and quiet. Well, they, um, yeah, they they may be, and they're finding a number of new things there while we're not there. So, because they have an opportunity to work, they're finding, you know, hundreds of more tombs in Saqqara, for example than they ever knew were there. Oh, wow. Probably the, yes, the oldest necropolis in the world. I, just to be, to be, my sister's been to Peru and she speaks with great reverence of, you know, all of the, all of the temples there. And she's been to China too and, and the same thing. And so that there's something about being in that kind of antiquity that, that can't help but, Make make right. you awestruck by by right. you know the past and 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 yet this country has antiquity too so it's it's kind of sad that that the antiquity that's here in in the United States isn't paid as great attention to as of course it isn't that old but it is ancient and, yeah well and, some uh, of, yeah some of it is yeah. I mean, Monk's Mound um, goes way, way back. I mean, there are there are areas yep. here that, that there's great antiquity to, and and yet um, our history books seem to be ignoring it, which is kind of too bad. Right. Right. I mean, I did a lot of you know work on the stone chambers and the stone walls that are all over New England, and nobody knows when they were done, and so it has to go back hundreds of years. Maybe thousands, and and yeah, people are making patios out of them instead of paying attention to the right. to, to the structures right. themselves. You know, it's like you, you wouldn't do this in Egypt. Um, 
Although, wait, to be fair, they were burning mummies in trains for a while, so to to power the trains. Well, yes, they were. Yes, they were. So you know, there there is there there are sometimes the present doesn't have the reverence for the past that that you know you would hope that they would have. Exactly. And and so so of course one of my loves is King Tut's tomb. Did you get a chance to go into it? Oh yes, yes. I've been in several times, and um, it's still one of my favorite places inside the old museum to go, where all of the beautiful, uh, not the gold and silver, but I love the shrines that were there um, uh-huh. that have been, yeah, that have been taken out now, and they're in the new museum. Uh, there's a brand new exhibit of the shrines, uh, which is actually probably closer to the Great Pyramid than it used to be, because it used to be downtown. So, yeah. Well, in inside the tomb, they have said of late that they have discovered that there's another hidden room. Yes, and that's not that's not all that unusual because it seems to me that that particular tomb, he was a young boy when he died, and uh-huh. they weren't expecting him to die that quickly. And so they they started building his monument, and they hid another tomb, and they had to make a quick turn, you know, <laughs> because and then seal up the other one, yeah. So, well, yeah. There is, um, well, there have been rumors that that wasn't really – Meant to be his tomb, and the, the that's right. That, it wasn't that that the mask that he the golden mask was really meant meant for a woman, and that they had to sounds gross, but they had to break his toes off in order to close the cover of it. So, um, mm-hmm. it was a rush job for sure. It was a rush job, yeah. But some of those tombs are just so extensive, it's unbelievable. And, you know, to be able to travel back that way, to be able to feel the energy of that place and and to tune into it to help you to get into a better place within yourself, I mean, it's amazing. And what's really cool is through your book and, and, you know, through – talking to you at other times, it's very obvious that you're still on that journey of discovery. You haven't finally, mm. you haven't said, I have arrived. It's a process. No, I'm it's, still going. It's not a destination. <laughs> that's right. Well, I think that's what every, everybody has to, to realize, that, that enlightenment, um, a spiritual journey, a spiritual growth, it's you never arrive. And 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 it's it's a constant, it's a joyous, conscious, uh, constant pathway that that we're on. So that so that yes. you know you know there, are there surprises? Absolutely. Are there places where you can sit and take a break and have a diet coke or, or tea or whatever? Absolutely. But but it is it is a. Uh, it, it's not like a single lotus who un, un, unfurls, you know, all of its petals. It, it's it's kind of like a never-ending onion that always has another level, another yeah. place you can go, and that's that's exciting. So I know you've written at least fourteen books um, at last count. Yes, maybe more, maybe more since you you know filled out your thing here, so that you know 
it has been a while. It's been at least a year. So uh, it, are there other books coming? Is there another series coming or something like that? There is. Uh, there are two books that are coming right now. Um, one of them is actually a departure, slight departure from Egyptian things, although it will have some some stuff about uh, Coptic Christians and ancient Egyptian mythology in it, and it is on angels. Huh. Um, and so then the book after that is actually, it's going to be more or less, um, I'm going back to uh, writing autobiography, and um, I will be looking at the autobiography through the lens of storytelling uh, by writing prompts and getting people to try to find out where their story intersects by giving them writing prompts. And by that I mean, for example, I'm going to talk about the seven scorpions of Isis as uh-huh. um, your, your very own seven deadly sins <laughs> and to be <laughs> able to write about them and to put them in your journal and to acknowledge them and to honor them and to close the book on those you know, as a process, mm-hmm. so it's going to be something like that. Well, so. was was the number seven significant on other levels? I mean, yes, seven. Of, yeah. Seven, of course, is is a very spiritual number, um, mm-hmm. and there were seven goddesses, uh, seven Hathors, who are related to the Pleiades or the Pleiades. I don't know how you say that, but. Um, yeah, they're the uh, seven petals on the the crown of Seshet, so she's the keeper of the Akashic Records. And these seven Hathors um, are kind of like fairy godmothers. Um, and so they bequeath you uh, certain gifts. Um, and so to write about the seven Hathors and how they've appeared in your life, what have been your seven gifts? You know, so yes, seven is a big number. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see you know seven sins, but I I could also see the balance. It would be seven gifts. You know, what, right. you know, what are your gifts and power tools to use to to you know address the the seven areas of darkness that you still have? Right, and, and it's so that that's going to be a new book that will be writing prompts. Basically, I did one book um, called Invoking the Scribes, which was a travel log through Egypt. And in that was a lot of different writing prompts. So and it'll kind of be a little bit like that. That's exciting. I think, uh, you know, writing is a wonderful experience. So, So many people say they can't write, but the reality is, you know, we can all write. It's just a matter of you going to let spirit speak or are you going to let your ego speak I th- and that's only right. my own personal belief system that you know right. but I think that, that writing is a wonderful way of getting in touch with your higher consciousness and and discovering you know what what magic is there and what kind of um, signals are you getting from from spirit right. and almost always I, I I say coincidence is one of the biggest ways that spirit does let you know what's going on if you pay right. attention, right. So, but true. I think that is that is so exciting, and especially the fact that you know, frankly, so many people have trouble getting places to do workshops and things like that. So to have gone virtual, 
I would hate to think that you would unvirtualize yourself because <laughs> well i do I do like to do practical things like um when I'm teaching the nine bodies, I like to get people in a group and have them draw around each other and like make art out of you know their their bodies. So that's uh-huh. something that we can't necessarily do on Zoom. So one of these days we'll go back to doing it the other way too. But yeah, I'll probably keep up both venues. Well, it's 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 exciting because it's. Have you ever thought of having? a workshop where everybody attends by doing um, remote viewing. Oh, no, I've not. Now there's an idea. <laughs> there you know, is an you idea. Could, ah. it, it just it seems to me that because you have the energy you have, it would be easy for you to create an energy that people who did remote viewing could tune into. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Well, like um, a pil- like like being a pillar of light and shooting that up and just drawing in the lights that 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 want to work with you. Well, I'm going to have to think about that because I've been getting phone calls and emails from people who say, you don't know me, but you've been showing up in my dreams. It's like, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I'm going to have to be a little more conscious about that now that you've said that, Barbara. <laughs> um, I, I did, quite a while ago, I did um, a workshop of remote viewers, and everybody was in a different part of the world. And uh-huh. um, I set it up so that they got pulled in on a show just like this. And I I set up the energy to pull them in, and I knew that they were there because they had signed because they had called in as well, so they could hear my voice. And I took uh-huh. them into meditation, then out of body, and then we did remote viewing. Wow! So, so, I mean, that the way you would know they were attending would be if they called up or they signed in or whatever. And then you took them in meditation to gather them together, and of course that energetic would be would be very powerful be, yes. because it 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 just it it just vibrates more and more and more. And if you're taking them out of body to do remote viewing, um, you could do all sorts of magical stuff with them. Well, that's an interesting idea. I'll have to think it about was, that. It was fun. It was, uh, we, yeah. we actually, we went to pyramids all around the world, and mm. um, I led them Did through it. Did you get it. to the white one, to the, to the white pyramid in China? Um, not the white one, but we got to the emperor's, the first emperor's pyramid. Ah, okay. And, and uh, we went inside and down into that one. We did a pyramid in Antarctica. We did a pyramid mm-hmm. in the moon. We did a pyramid oh. in. Um, we did several several temples in Egypt, actually, and um, I think we did ten or fifteen of them. They're, they're all actually they're all still on my website. You can you can go and do the meditation, and you can see the material that I gave, and then you can see the comments of the people. I did very short meditations because I wasn't sure how experienced people were. And well, that um, sounds good. I will go on there. 
I had uh, I had I think 68 people that signed up for it, and they all turned up for. And what was cool was because it was archived, they were able to go in and listen to the meditation and do the whole thing, still experiencing the total experience of the whole group because it was still there. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was fun. Lots of fun, lots of fun. So, but 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 I just I'm I'm so jealous that not jealous I'm and no, I'm I'm in awe that you were able to spend this much time in Egypt and and you've been there what a number of times so you yes. you've got to always were you able ever to discover where some of the the temples were the old temples I mean I know you've been into into um you know the egyptian pyramids and stuff like that but there are all temples there too to the gods that that not everybody visits visits i've been to a few uh there are um you have to have uh an egyptologist with you when you uh-huh. go somewhere in egypt and so your egyptologist has to kind of know what's there i go places that um i feel confident my guide uh, knows what's there, even though there have been some that are unusual that people don't go to, like the Temple of the Vulture Goddess, uh, uh-huh. which is called uh, El Cobb. And uh, not very many people go there because it's out in the middle of the desert. Did you did you ever get to uh, the Elephantine Island? Oh, yes, many times. That looks like and it's down, a fabulous down in place. the basement, yeah, uh, in the mm-hmm. basement. <laughs> 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 underneath, uh, underneath the temple, there is a fourth dynasty, very old uh, room that's dedicated to the uh, goddess of the flood, whose name is Satis, and that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places. And there's a, a like a bowl of water that sits in the middle of of this, you know, dugout. Mud room, basically, is what it looks like. Um, but I love the goddess Satis. Her name, she's the goddess of the flood, and it is from her name that we, the word satisfy, which means to be enough, so that the flood is satisfying us. It's kind of a nice Oh, how cool. Link. Yeah. Definitely cool. Yeah. So that, that island has always fascinated me. I don't know why, but it but it always has. Yeah, it's very fascinating. Yes, it is. It, it just feels like there's, and again, it feels like there's more antiquity there than, and and, and like you said, you know, it, they 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 found ruins, but they're not going to destroy the ruins to dig beneath them to see if there are more ruins there. So that's right. That's right. And when I was there. They're they're still doing uh, digs on that particular island in various places, even though there uh, are there's a village there where people live. But they are digging underneath the village at, as much as they can, and they are finding um, quite fascinatingly they are finding temples to Jewish gods like Yahweh yeah. and the Shekinah, and uh-huh. they are finding that these are um, linked to the Egyptian, you know, uh, god Kanum, who makes people on his potter's wheel out of clay, and, you know, so does Yahweh. So it's kind of interesting that there's some similarities Yeah, I was wondering if if the the Jewish um, 
link had been, you know, discovered there because, you know, uh, it, it's been mentioned that there was a Jewish um, community there. But Right, 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 there is. Boy, that's exciting. And um, Yeah, and it's pretty close to um, Nubia in Ethiopia, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was said to have been taken. So mm-hmm. it's, it's linked to that island as well. The, theoretically, it went from there to another island uh, in Ethiopia, and then, of course, mm-hmm. to the to the church that it's theoretically living in now. Right. Right. <laughs> course if 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 you know the Templars didn't find it in Solomon's temple and bury it someplace else but um <laughs> right but I think every every uh, in Ethiopia every every temple has an ark so that you know there there are plenty of them to go around apparently um, wow but you know well, all that of certainly our makes sense oh yeah but and and all of all of our stories, all of our myths, all of the all of the things that that, that are older than time itself, all all seem to coalesce, and they all seem to have very similar backgrounds and messages and stuff like that. And you know, I I would love to see somebody pulling them all together and saying, "Look, it's the same story over and over and over again. Get the message." Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for the most part. It, it's it's you know the sun, s o n s u n whichever way you go, but it's light. Everything always it seems light. to be focused. Yeah, everything focuses on light, and mm-hmm. of course the light within us is is amazing. It's a part of the infinite, so that is ultimate light. And sometimes I wonder just why people aren't getting the message, why they aren't seeing the connection, and. And understanding that that it's, it's like the name of this show is Night Light. Let me shine a light so you can see more cool stuff and maybe discover something about yourself. You know, let me you know sparkle in the in the darkness just a little bit so that so that there there might be something that will stir you to look for the light within yourself. Right, because it is it's obviously there. But I am just so so tickled that we could spend this time and I, I'm going to go through your other books because I really would love to have you back on again because the mysticism and the and the metaphysical stuff is so fabulous and especially the writing and the journaling and, and you know finding ways to get into yourself so that you can get some answers for yourself from yourself instead of going to other people. Well, thank you. I'd love to come back sometime. It's it's been a pleasure to be talking with you these last two hours. I've enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. And and you know, I I am going to you know um, certainly pummel you with questions on some other things at at, at another okay. time. <laughs> but, okay. But but the book that we've been talking about, you know, from time to time, um, is is called Dreams of Isis. It's a it's a really good book. It it does portray your journey and and how you utilize the energy of the wisdom of all of this to tra- to transcend difficulties in your life and to find joy. And um, it's always a hard journey because we have to let go of things that 
you know, are issues that we have to grow through. But it's it's an exciting journey, and and there's always bliss at the end of it. Not the end of it. There's always bliss at some point, and then you dig in some more to let go of some other garbage. But it's a blissful journey, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Because the re, the re, it'd be like a dung beetle, you know, wrap the crap up and right. grow good stuff. That's I'm, right. I'm sure that's, that's right. That could be put in a much better way. <laughs> well, okay, we'll we'll consider ourselves like lotus buds. We come up okay. from the muck into the light, and then sometimes after the beautiful perfume of the afternoon, we slowly descend down into the darkness again to rest until we wonder where'd the light go and we have to come up from the muck again. So <laughs> that's Okay, that's a better one. But but that's like death too. We we yeah, are yeah. born, we flower, we grow, we blossom and the darkness comes and we, we pull back and we go back into the darkness to be reborn the next day. That's right. Absolutely. Well, listen, I just noticed the time. Um, I want to thank you so much. This has been such fun. I so appreciate your taking your time to spend with me. It was my pleasure, Barbara. It really was. And we'll talk again soon. Absolutely, we will. And thank you, everybody, for listening, for being with us. Follow us on um, YouTube and Rumble. Um, we have a new place to be. Uh but uh, that's the only way we know you're there if you follow us and you you, you uh, click share or whatever, subscribe. I, I, I do want to thank you all for being here. Uh, we have another show tomorrow night and then another show on Wednesday. So check the times and come and join us for, for more fun, hopefully more enlightenment too. So for, for tonight.